Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Um, this week, we're going to be doing um, something, I guess we've done this before, right? Kind of throwback episodes, reviewing something a little older. But uh, we're going way back uh, this, uh, this time to, I guess I don't even know what year. We're reviewing the first James Bond book, Casino Royale. Yeah, it's got to go back pretty far because I'm, I'm looking a little bit ahead to when we talk about his bio, and it said he died in 1964. So this book is is definitely probably one of the least fresh ones we've ever talked about. Yeah, 1953. By the way, I think the the Three Musketeers might be the only one that was older, and that was like <laughs> that was like 1951 or something. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Uh, before we jump into talking about the book, I just want to acknowledge um, the weird timing of... So we posted our year-in-review episode super late, um, and so I, I just want to lay out, we recorded that episode on January 5th, and then January 6th, some really, really fucked up stuff happened in the world, and that's typically, I edit the episode the day after um, we record it, and so... You know, not surprisingly, I wasn't super in the mood, and so I just kind of left it for a few days, and we we took a week off because it was just um, I I don't know everybody reacts differently to these types of things, but like I was just not in a mindset to like think about those types of things at the moment, so we took a week off. But um, in that interim week, I edited and posted our year in review, so it was super late because uh, an absolutely insane and unpredictable like world event kind of threw me out of my rhythm for a little bit so apologies for that um but we are back and we're ready to talk about an old ass spy novel he's ready to talk about it i'm ready to read this goddamn author bio <laughs> uh, i don't even have to be kind right because the guy's been gone for 40 years at this point 60 years or 60 years yeah almost 60 so yeah <clears throat> right he, he uh, were you alive when he died I was not. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. I know. That's okay. I do believe this might be the longest bio we've ever read. So skip forward like a minute if you don't care about uh, the bio. Ian Fleming was born in London on May 28, 1908. He was educated at Eton College and later spent a formative period studying languages in Europe. His first job was with Reuters News Agency, where a Moscow posting gave him firsthand experience with what would become his literary bete noir, the Soviet Union. During World War II, he served as assistant to the director of naval intelligence and played a key role in Allied espionage operations. I'm sorry, I almost broke up there because I was thinking about um, he was assistant director. Assistant to the assistant regional manager. To the, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> After the war, he worked as foreign manager of the Sunday Times, a job that allowed him to spend two months each year in Jamaica. Here in 1952, at his home, GoldenEye, he wrote a book called Casino Royale, and James Bond was born. The first print run sold out within a month. For the next 12 years, Fleming produced a novel a year featuring Special Agent 007, the most famous spy of the century. His travels, interests, and wartime experience lent authority to everything he wrote. Raymond Chandler described him as the most forceful and driving writer of thrillers in England. Sales soared when President Kennedy named the fifth title from Russia with Love one of his favorite books. The Bond novels have sold more than 100 million copies worldwide, boosted by the hugely successful film franchise that began in 1962 with the release of Dr. No. He married Anne Rothermere in 1952. His story about a magical car written in 1961 for their only son, Caspar, went on to become the well-loved novel and film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Fleming died of heart failure on August 12, 1964 at the age of 56. 
Um, a couple of things jumped out <laughs> at me about this. So first, that he had a home called Goldeneye, mm-hmm. which eventually became, I'm assuming, a Bond novel. I, I don't have a list of the novels in front of me. Um, but the fact that he lived in Jamaica is uh, might be a little important because I did recently watch Dr. No, the, you know, I don't know, whatever, 1962 release of Dr. No, and that takes place in Jamaica. So it seems like he really was tying in his his personal experience and his personal life into um, a lot of these stories. Yeah, I didn't know that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang thing. That kind of caught yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that either, but I'm, I'm surprised it didn't mention in the bio that he also happened to have a magical car. <laughs> um, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, here, here's the synopsis for Casino Royale. In the novel that introduced James Bond to the world, Ian Fleming's Agent 007 is dispatched to a French casino in Royale les Hauts. His mission? Bankrupt a ruthless Russian agent who's been on a bad luck streak at the Baccarat table. Oh, we get to talk about gambling, Livius. It's going to be nice for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of Smirsh's most deadly operatives. <laughs> that reminds me of... Um, You've seen uh, the Blues Brothers. I, I mean, movie? I think I think you know the answer to this, right? You have not. No, I have. I, I, I take that back. Not to get off got off the track here. Um, our art teacher in the seventh or eighth grade, I forget, um, made us watch it because he was an extra in it, and I really <laughs> didn't pay much attention. All right, so I, I'm really getting off off track here, but in um, Blues Brothers. There was a system, like a database that the police used called SCMODS, S-C-M-O-D-S. And I don't remember what it stands for, but um, Smirsh sounds just as like ridiculous and, and not cool as SCMODS. Uh, all right, so one of Smirsh's most deadly operatives, the man known only as Le Chiffre, has been a prime target of the British Secret Service for years. If Bond can wipe out his bankroll, Le Chiffre will likely be retired, in quote marks, retired, by his paymasters in Moscow. But what if the cards won't cooperate? After a brutal night at the gaming tables, Bond soon finds himself dodging would-be assassins, fighting off brutal torturers, and going all in to save the life of his beautiful female counterpart, Vesper Lind. Taut, tense, and effortlessly stylish, Ian Fleming's Inaugural James Bond adventure has all the hallmarks that made the series a touchstone for a generation of readers. It's going to be a tough one to talk about because I feel like some people will this this will show up in their feed or they'll search sometimes for James Bond and they'll be like, oh, these guys are going to talk about James Bond. I love James Bond. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to talk about um, <laughs> about this book and probably about expectations and a variety of other things. But I think we'll probably just jump right into the story. We'll go as far as we deem um, reasonable with that, and then maybe we'll we'll kind of come away with <laughs> with some of our thoughts. So, um, yeah, I mean the 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 synopsis kind of says it all. Uh, it, it's you know kind of starts off with uh, a, a report about this Lashif guy who's uh, Working for, you know, like the Russians, they think like they're not really, you know, really sure, you know, he's he's like absconded with some of their money. And it seems like he's making a play 
um, to increase this amount of money and then kind of disappear off the face of the earth. Um, and I say seems like and stuff because some of this was super unclear um, to me while I was reading it, what some of the like behind the scenes things that were happening were weren't very clear um, to me. Did you feel that way? Um, yeah, to a degree. Um, I, I, well, I think for me it was more being um, kind of mired in terminology um, and stuff like that, or like maybe the language of the time. Yeah, and that that was the other thing, and I, I know we'll talk about some of our individual ratings, but yeah, there were just words I didn't understand. There were times where words were said in foreign languages where there was no yep. bother to translate to, to English. So yeah, I, I felt a little fuzzy, but that's the the gist of it is, you know, and it says it right in the synopsis. If uh, Bond can uh, can wipe out this guy's bankroll, um, you know, he's going to be killed by uh, by Smirsh. Fucking Smirsh. Um, I'll, I'll just get it out of the way because I've been making fun of Smirsh. Apparently, like, the explanation is that, like, that is a combination of two Russian words. That means death to spies, basically. And so they identify this uh, part of the Russian spy organization as being the ones who, like, kind of root out, um, like, the, the shitty, shitty spies, double agents, kind of stuff like that. So... It's like the spy cops, I guess, in a way. They're spies, but they just get rid of like the bad ones. Um, but yes, yeah, Mersh, not not a sexy name at all. <laughs> no, and again, it dependent. I don't know if in you know if in the fifties that would have come off as as crude as it does now. Hey, in the fifties, our podcast might have been called Smirsh. Smirched. Smirched. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so basically James Bond is called in. So after this evidence is presented to M, who everybody who's ever seen a James Bond movie will know is uh, is the agent who directs uh, 007 to different missions. So uh, he's called in and that's where we're introduced essentially to M and Moneypenny, who is another fixture in the in the Bond series. And he is given the directive to go take the shifters money. The audiobook of this has to be a nightmare. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, there's definitely like, um, yeah, because he has to go to, it's like, it's France, right? It's by Nice. It's like in the south of France yes. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Roy, uh, Royale de, Royale de Leo, which means like Royale of the water or by the water or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Not a real place, by the way. I did actually look that up. It's uh, not an actual casino I, I should say the casino i don't know if that location is real which actually you know what now that now that we say that um i think it's it's good to point out that our discussion will be pretty much entirely just about the book i know that there's some people who have seen the james bond film with daniel craig casino royale which does actually kind of like deviate pretty heavily from the story in the book um including um I think the location is more like Monaco or whatever. Not Monaco. What's the really fancy like place you go gambling? So isn't it Monaco? Is it Monaco? All right. I think so. Cool. Um, so there's differences. But yeah, we're going to be talking just about the book. So um, one thing that I will kind of observe about the the way the story is written is that it felt kind of stiff in, in a way. Um 
and if this is the dude's first novel, maybe it was just a man like kind of growing into his writing style. But um, it, it felt uh, it felt a little cold. Like the the beginning of the book introduced a lot of stuff through actually like epistolary methods of like you know uh, memos that were sent to people, and it's very expository and stuff. But even when they introduce like, oh, we we need a gambler. This is our this guy is you know the guy who can't be beat it's james bond and when they introduce him it just felt really rigid and not like um not as like flowy as as maybe it could have been for the introduction of a protagonist so and that kind of carried for the for me that kind of carried out throughout the book where it was um it, it, it just didn't feel as like sexy or adventurous as i expected from like probably one of the most well-known spy, 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 spy novels, uh, you know, that you could think of off the top of your head. Yeah, I, I will deviate. I agree about it being stiff. I will deviate a little bit. I actually thought that reading the internal memo was a, was a good way to, to kind of introduce the, the situation. I just, like I said, I felt like it was a little muddy, but I actually kind of like that as an addition that we get to read the secret document where they make this decision instead of it just being kind of related sure. by, yeah. you know, relayed by another character. Yeah. Yeah. That, that in itself wasn't bad. It was just, um, I, I guess it just wasn't what I was expecting. Uh, it worked. It worked fine. I mean, most of the novel worked fine, but it just, it was, and then that, that has to maybe go to the fact that like, you know, uh, I have to imagine that many of the spy novels that came after this were inspired by this, but had their own kind of special things. So we might not have what we have without it. Anyway, it doesn't take long for um, Bond to get to Royale uh, and to kind of rendezvous with, he knows he's going to meet um, another agent or another person who works for, what is it? Is it MI6? I don't even know what it, if it was even called it back then. Yeah, I he is. Uh, I, I believe so. Oh no, it was called. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, we all, we all know what I'm talking about. Uh, he's going to meet this this woman who's basically like the money woman from from uh, MI6 or whatever. He knows he's going to rendezvous with someone else who has like more like local connections. And really, I mean, I feel like that he was into that stuff within 15% of the book. It was super fast to get into mm-hmm. actually getting on location. And then like some, some kind of spy shit goes down. Like he checks into his room and like discovers, um, uh, or, or like, you know, it's, it's revealed that he's being, um, spy, uh, uh, eavesdropped on through some like uh, uh, through like the chimney and, and stuff. <laughs> so there's some spy shit that happens early on that I thought was pretty cool too. Yeah, I, it was. Um, some of it is is a little hard to come to terms with because everything is analog and obviously super low tech. And one of the issues, I, I guess, coming with a like strong sense of James Bond from having seen however many movies you may have seen is that this, this is super low tech. The, the, the bond gadgets do not make an appearance um, in, in this, in this book. Right. So clearly started sometime later um, in the books or, or maybe not at all in the books. And that was an addition for the movies. Um, I, I, like I mentioned, I did watch Dr. No recently in the last probably six or eight weeks. And uh, there's no bond gadgets, but he is presented with a different, 
firearm at the beginning of it. And, and I could see in that how that would then roll into movies and him getting more stuff. But that wasn't really a, p- a part of this. As Rob mentioned, he um, gets the Casino Royale. He meets his local contact. He's uh, he's given 25,000 francs. Uh, I apologize. Probably about three weeks ago, I, I read this and I actually did the conversion. I think that was like roughly $120,000 today, somewhere around there. Um, he's given an edict. So I take that back. He's given 20,000 francs. He's given an edict to to win, you know, 5,000 more to kind of make up the difference because he they they suspect that Le Chiffre has about that much. So they want to send Bond in on a on an even keel to to take this out. And I've got to tell you, um, I, I've done a little bit of gambling in, in my life. Um, I, that's a tough sell, man, to just send someone in with the expectation that you are going to win all of their money in, in a game <laughs> that, it, and I'm not terribly familiar with Baccarat. I know you can still play it. It's never been an interest of mine, but it, it seems kind of like playing blackjack, essentially, where the goal is to get, um, you know, the number nine instead of 21. <clears throat> and uh, I, I just thought this is like a really shitty plan. Like it would have been so much easier for them just to put a bullet in this guy if they wanted to get rid of him than to, you know, send a hundred thousand, you know, current dollars um, on, on a hope that you can beat somebody at a game that doesn't require skill. And it's mentioned in the book several times that this game is pure luck. There is no beating Baccarat. It's, it's literally just luck. Yeah, uh, I agree. It does seem like a weird plot, um, like a weird foundation for for the plot of a spy novel is like um, this guy's down on his luck and he's trying to win back his money so he doesn't get murdered. Um, So if you bankrupt him, he'll get murdered. Well, if that's the goal, like you said, just go shoot the guy like especially since it doesn't take long into the book before they they tell you that the double o uh designation is because you've killed like a certain number of people so that's why you get that designation is is so that people know that you are um proficient in or at least experienced in killing people mm-hmm. so uh yeah that was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow I- I mean, that's my my one big ding in plot is, you know, I probably took off three points for the fact that this is kind of a dumb idea, because on the flip side, if Bond gets cleaned out, then the guy's got everything he needs and they have accomplished nothing except for losing a shit ton of money. Yeah. And funding a criminal. Yeah. Yeah. So. um, So we're introduced to Mathis, the local contact. Um, he introduces Bond to um, Vesper Lind, who is, again, mentioned in the synopsis. And she is uh, also, again, a contact, a person who's going to help him, um, you know, uh, through this process where he's going to try to beat somebody at gambling. Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't take too long. Rob mentioned that there's there's uh, he's being um, surveilled and uh, an attempt is made on his life um, also pretty early on in the book. As a matter of fact, it's right after he meets Vesper Lind. And that even that. All right. So this isn't going to be just criticizing this book the whole time because like there, you know, it wasn't like it was a wholly unenjoyable book. But like so he leaves a restaurant after meeting um, uh, Mathis and Lind Vesper and he's walking in the street and he and he clocks these two dudes who are like suspicious because one's got a blue camera bag and one's got a red camera bag, I believe. 
And so he's like, oh, something's up with these folks. But then he just kind of ignores them. And then um, suddenly, like, they make a like a like a quick movement and um, a bomb goes off. So, you know, obviously they were supposed to be assassins and kill James Bond. Um, it went wrong. They ended up both dying themselves. But then later on, he gets intelligence about it. And, um, like, they, they basically just, like, botched. It was a botched assassination attempt in, like, the dumbest way. And uh, I don't know. Um, that was just weird. That was weird, too. Yeah. Um, like, so, so, and, and the thing about it was, like, oh, this isn't doing anything to reinforce that James Bond is somehow good at his job. Like, nothing so far has made me think, oh, wow, it's a good thing they sent this guy because he really knows his shit. Like, all he, all he managed to do was, like, be in the vicinity of a couple of Bulgarians who fucked up assassinating him. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's what I said. I don't know if James Bond morphs in the movie series to this ultra slick, you know, action hero, but that's not what you get in this book at all. It it really, and I don't know how much farther we need to go into the plot, but I don't want to say he bumbles through these things. Like he's doing his job, like whatever job you do, right? Like you just get up and you do it. And and it, there, there are some parts where he's in danger, but he he doesn't, I, I don't know. I, I expected there to be some more, either like Sherlock Holmes style figuring shit out or some more action. And I guess I'm not surprised because Dr. No, the, the original Dr. No movie um, plays out much the same way as, as this book did. Um, you know, you've got a, a, a good looking British agent who, you know, at some point meets a girl and, and like these series of events happen. And in a lot of cases, it's him escaping danger, but not through a lot of work on his own. And I felt like that was missing from this. And again, I don't know because I can't unknow James Bond and what I think of James Bond. Like I grew up on Roger Moore, James Bond, you know, Mm -hmm. like had I have read this and this was just about some character that I'd never heard of before, you know, would I would I have felt differently about this? Because in a lot of ways, this was a little bit of a letdown of the James Bond legend. Well, it wouldn't be like, so like, imagine you're like a really huge James Bond fan and you're trying to get someone who's never heard of James Bond before excited about the franchise, um, either the books or the movies or both. And you're like, oh man, just start at the beginning. This is going to rope you in. (laughs) I can't imagine that would be your pitch. Um, the only other thing I think I really want to say about plot is, you know, eventually we get to the big gambling showdown. I'm obviously not going to reveal what what happens there. But I will say this. I kind of expected that gambling showdown to be much later in the book than it was. That plays into something. So did you have more on that? Because I have I no. have something about the kind of meandering plot. <laughs> no, go ahead. I, I was just simply saying, like, it felt like that was going to be the climax of the book. And instead I think it happens like smack dab in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It happens. um, It happens kind of in the middle, like you said, but also, but also like um, Le Chiffre as like the, the main adversary doesn't play out. Like this book came out in 1952. We can talk about the end of it, right? That's yeah. I, I, yes, I, I, it's so hard. Because you get so accustomed to not doing it, but yeah, I, I don't see why why we couldn't. 
So I'm just going to run through some stuff. Obviously, like, Le Chiffre doesn't um, escape. He doesn't win the money back. At least James Bond, you know, manages to do that part of his job right. Um, he, he he succeeds in bankrupting Le Chiffre, who then pretty much immediately, like... Um, so, like, I will have I have to give it up. Like, the, the ruse that was used to draw James Bond out, to, like, kidnap him, uh, mm-hmm. to try and, like, find out where the money is, was probably one of the more clever... Um, cleverly plotted things in the in the book, um, but so they use Vesper as bait. Basically, they they abduct her in a very obvious way so that James Bond will follow them, uh, and then they um, orchestrate catching him by making him crash his car with like spikes, like a spike strip kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, like this was really like thought out. So they get him and they're torturing him to find out where the money is. And then again, through no skill, like he didn't like manufacture some cool way of getting out of this like un, un inescapable like situation. Something happens where he like he survives, she survives, and then there's this weird like love section of the book <laughs> where he goes from being like he goes from being like almost dying through being tortured to being like in recovery, and um. And then him and Vesper basically take a vacation together. Um, and, uh, like, he finds out that she's kind of been, you know, like like lying to him the whole time. Yep. Yeah. And then she dies. Uh, she kills herself. Here's, here's what I want to say about that. <sighs> I wish that would have been a twist I didn't see coming. And I say that because fairly fresh off watching Dr. No... That may just be something that happens in all Bond movies. Like the that woman the girl always is double always crosses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So really, know. one of one of the, you know, uh, James Bond was always <clears throat> portrayed as this, uh, you know, this lady killer or, or whatever. But it just seems like he gets duped a lot by by chicks. He's just really, yeah, he's just a horny <laughs> dude. Really gullible, like buys their <laughs> crap. Um, I did give my highest, um, the by far the highest score in any of our categories that we rate on um, to the conclusion, and not so much for the things that Rob just talked about. There's a kind of an inner monologue that, that Bond has at the end that I, you know, I was reflecting on it after I finished the book, and I thought, well, God damn, this book introduced a character, and through the course of this, hopefully shaped the rest of his career, right? Like he kind of vows vengeance and he's not really sure which side the good guys are, which side the bad guys are. So I I felt like it really redeemed itself in my eyes um, right at the end there because I thought this is a pretty good setup for, I don't know what comes next in the books. I'll be honest, I don't think I'm going to find out what the the next 11 books were like. Um, But I did think they did that very, very well. And that that definitely drew my score up from where it would have been without that little kind of soliloquy at the end. All right. Livius's observations just made me switch a couple of my scores because as we were talking through this, um, I hadn't really thought about that, but that I, cause I hadn't thought of this book as an origin story for a character. But, um, I think that this does set up, um, like a personality, like it might concrete the personality of someone for future stories. So, um, I, in, I increased my conclusion 
score a little bit and I dropped my plot score because as we talked more about the plot, I realized I had that score way too high. Um, so <laughs> I, I did. want you guys to know it had no effect on his overall score. No effect. I was trying to see what he changed. I was like, I know what his final score was. It hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, I, without going too deep into it, one of the things that I was curious about um, and um, the, the girl I'm dating, we, I was told her we were, I was reading this first James Bond book, which came out in the 50s, and she's like, oh, I wonder how much racism there is. Um, not as much as I expected, like almost none at all that I could see. Um, but there is definitely some real misogyny. Like women are absolutely treated like, like objects um, a lot in the book especially by James Bond and so I have to imagine that like maybe over the years that softened in the books and stuff like that but like when when they're not doing what he wants like they're just useless they're in the way they're they're obj- they're they're obstructing they're they're um not capable of things it gets pretty negative about the ladies when they're not either um letting him like hook up with them or like doing the job the way that they're expected to. <laughs> yeah, it was it was probably a little more aggressive than I expected. And I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you. I kind of doubt it softened up. This was over a course of 12 years, I think, that he wrote these books. And I know that they've been continued. There's probably 100 James Bond books by now. And yes, I am sure at some point. But I don't know. I get a feeling that, that that's James Bond on the inside. I, I remember kind of thinking again, watching, you know, Dr. No. That, that he was a little rough on the ladies. Now, we didn't have the the benefit of what was going on in his head when you're in a movie, but uh, there, there's not a lot of chivalry that I saw in in uh, Dr. No. So I feel like that was that that may have been um, accurate from the books, or at least that feeling. I, I didn't mm. find that shocking at all from having seen an early Bond movie. That's a good point. Um, and actually, like I probably will take a, a minute or two to talk about because I also watched the movie Casino Royale um, midway through reading the book. And um, obviously, besides like some serious plot deviations, um, that line, the final line, Livius, is in the movie. <laughs> oh, well, that's, yeah. that's kind of interesting. So since we're not worried about spoiling things. Right, yeah. The final line in the book is, I think, is that the bitch is dead or that bitch is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's in the movie, too. Um, in the movie, it's different, though, because then M kind of like puts it in perspective and says, um, oh, you know, well, she did this for you. So um, basically implying even if she double tra- if she double crossed you or betrayed you or whatever, um, she did have feelings about you. And then he kind of like. He got a little sappy about it, but but yeah, the bit that bitch is dead made it into the movie, which was fucking weird. It was That's a really bizarre. weird part. Yeah, that, that movie's only a few years old, right? Like five, six years. I mean, it's not that long ago. Uh, two thousand six. All right. Oh, all right. So when you get to be my age, that feels like five years. A couple ago. years. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, and it's especially interesting because you said they deviated significantly, but they didn't. They didn't deviate on that. Right, uh, and, and it's especially interesting because um, it's not the first James Bond movie, so like it's—I don't think it was supposed to play out like an origin, right? Although yeah, they do like—they flash back in the beginning as a flashback to his like first two kills um, that give him the double O designation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has origin, kind of like 
ish things going on, but like most of it takes part. Obviously, he's been a double O agent for quite a while. But um, yeah, just yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up. I guess I didn't know that that's how you became a double O agent is through. And I mean, I guess for anybody that's listening, and, and I don't know if anybody even cares about this, but it's not like he had to assassinate people. They were right. kills in the line of duty, not like, you know, hitman. Like you have to go take out the, you know, whatever the premier of whatever country. It was more like that happened just because it happened in the course of him trying to do his otherwise fairly lame um, spy job from, from <laughs> this book. And like I said, from Dr. No. Um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's interesting to see how that morphed into, um, you know, what's playing, you know, now as James Bond. I will say that um, from reading this book, I was inspired by um, some of the fanciness that happened in the book because we have to acknowledge, like, um, he was living pretty high on the hog. And um, so, uh, yeah, Friday night, I was, I was, um, I was with the girl I'm dating, and uh, we usually pick up like some, you know, beer or whatever just to kind of have with dinner. And uh, we we picked up a bottle of champagne and we drank champagne. So double O Rob, I haven't killed two people. Wait, well, not yet. At least as yeah. far as our listeners yeah. need to know, that's true. So, all right, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to kick off the wrap ups. I think I think we put this one to bed. Cool. Um, it, it would be interesting to know what I would have thought about this book uh, had it of not been you know the the known. Um, spy that that James Bond is that you know quite honestly there's probably a point when I was a kid um, probably when uh, For Your Eyes Only came out I thought I could grow up and be that guy you know so it was an important part of my my young years and whatever I could catch on TV of the uh, the older um, I Roger Moore was uh, the one then but um, oh god I can't think of his name um, the Connery. Bond before Connery Sean Connery yep you know, I'd catch those when I could. Jaws was a terrifying figure, um, you know, from from those movies and stuff. But all of those really exuded uh, a style and an action, uh, like an action packed kind of story. And and this one lacked lacked all action. You know, Rob said it at the end. Bond doesn't even get out of the out of the end on his own. Um, so it, it was kind of hard to consolidate this book with with a James Bond I, I grew up um, you know in awe of uh, I, I like the conclusion like I said from an origin standpoint I did give that a 10 everything else was basically five sixes there's one seven in there um, it, it was weak but I also have to remind myself that 60 years ago maybe all action type books were like this maybe it wasn't meant to be an action book I, I'm not I'm not really sure what Ian Fleming was going for um, but I think we owe him a debt of de- a, gret- a debt of gratitude um, for creating, you know, one of the most iconic figures ever in in film. So, uh, unfortunately, that didn't go into my score on scoring this book, and the final score averaged out to a six point five. Uh, I did six point five as well. Livius actually messaged me before we started talking, uh, <laughs> like a picture of our rating tools and was i was like oh wow i did not expect that i didn't see that coming but then again i didn't really know how he was going to land on this what i'm going to say is um i I had a lot of similar feelings to livius um and i think that uh, the perspective i'm coming out of this discussion with is maybe the bullshit um 
like Pierce Brosnan like surfing on a on a tsunami kind of nonsense that that ended up like the movies ended up going into spoiled what you know the original books kind of intended that's a possibility I don't know there's probably a Bond historian out there that could set us straight on on all this stuff that has that has to exist um what I will say is uh what this did for me was make me question what spy novel do I want because this seemed uh, this came in at a six and a half for me there was it was very middle of the road um there wasn't anything that was like that blew me away about it uh it, there were parts of it that were just confusing obviously the plot was problematic um but it still had a style to it and it still had so i think that like if there was anything that i walk away from this thinking is that like there was a stylishness to it that um kind of permeated the the non-action kind of parts of the book plus um probably a pretty accurate depiction of some spy shit so um that that's that's the good part of it i take myself back in time to our second book we ever reviewed which was called the mozart conspiracy by scott mariani which is like an action spy book where this guy's like jumping off helicopters and there's explosions every three pages and it's just like just like an action overload that was far 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 worse than than this but they're kind of two you know two ends of of the spectrum where like i don't want like the um unstoppable everything this person does uh is is perfect thing i kind of don't want the James Bond doesn't really do anything to help his situation either. So there's something that I'm looking for that's kind of in the middle. Um, all that being said, the plot was kind of confusing. Uh, the characters were pretty well developed, but um, also not that compelling. There was some really weird stuff that happened. Um, and and I don't know how much of that is just a function of the time that it was written in or, or, or whatever. Um, but overall, yeah, this landed very kind of middle of the road for me. Um, so yeah, six and a half, which averages out. For those people who are challenged with math, Livius is six and a half plus my six and a half divided by two, six and a half. Nicely done showing your work there at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think, I mean, I don't think you'll ever get around to it, but um, I do have a suggestion. David Morell wrote some spy type books, probably right hmm. in the middle of his career. And I say that because his first book was um, First Blood, the Rambo book. Hmm. Um, those, I think, might be a little more your sweet. But I had another thought. Going in the Wayback Machine here, you know how my memory is. I'm willing to bet that we gave the Mozart Conspiracy around a three. Right. And that was on a scale of five. So if you doubled that three to make it a scale of ten, it would have been like a six. I don't yeah. think it would have played out the same on this scale, but I think based on our old rating <laughs> system, we probably weren't far off with James Bond and Scott Mariani. Oh, man, the temptation to go back and look is real strong. Yeah. So um, I'm glad we did it, though. Um, you know, sometimes you're glad you did something because I, I've always like I said, I've always been a big fan of James Bond. And it was nice to go back and, and read what started it all um, to I hate. I don't mean it to sound as bad as this likely will sound, but to know that you're not missing a lot sometimes is worth the work. Because um, I <laughs> I full on went into this book like if this is good because they're short, I'll read all of them. I mean, I'll read all of uh, Ian Fleming's, you know, whatever the dozen or, or so. It's not a big deal at whatever these come in at clocking at 200 pages or something. Um, but, yeah, I just don't feel drawn to do that now. Yeah. 
Um, if there, so uh, may, this is probably one of the more interactive interactive topics that we could have, like because we probably have more likelihood of people having read uh, James Bond novels or other spy novels. So I guess I'm going to hit the listeners with a couple of questions. Like, if you really loved James Bond novels, what was it that um, uh, you you found so compelling? If you didn't, or if you haven't read them, but you've read other spy novels, what is like the proto spy novel? Like what would be the absolute best way for someone who wants to get into reading spy novels? Like what's the book that they, they should be reading? It's an excellent question. And I'm hoping that our listeners have some answers. <laughs> They're like, oh, those Scott Mariani books are, are the best. <laughs> I uh... Scott Mariani is is uh, typing a harsh worded email right now. He hasn't yet. I don't know why he would start now. I know we have a couple other things to cover, but I did want to transition briefly into next week because I noticed that we are going from James Bond, the slickest, coolest, most iconic, cleanest, like cut guy ever in books, probably, <laughs> to the little sleep from Paul Tremblay, which I've started. And the protagonist is the goddamn exact opposite. So I, I, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a uh, a, a complete one eighty um, from protagonist from this book to next. Kind of excited about that though, because this is old school Trembly. I think these were originally published in the two thousands, like the two I, two books of those, right? Yeah, I, I have to imagine. So there before we started this podcast. So yeah, I think oh six, oh seven, oh eight, somewhere in yeah. there. That's uh, Paul, man. He's our boy. For anybody who's not sure, The Little Sleep is a essentially a detective novel, um, except our protagonist has a little problem with uh, narcolepsy. Sorry, that made me yawn. So oh. does so does Rob yeah. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? So I, I guess um, a couple of uh, friends of the podcast merit a little bit of of mention really quick. Uh, I saw on social media right before we started talking to each other tonight that it is the anniversary of the release of Craig, Craig Walwick's book, Bad People, his first Tom Nolan book. And um, I remember really enjoying that. So um, if you missed our review, you can go back and check that out or just go ahead and buy Bad People by Craig Walwick. It's got a follow up called uh, the, the, the Labyrinth of Dolls. Yes. Which is also awesome i think we really we both really enjoyed both of those so um congrats on an anniversary craig and everybody go buy that for sure happy anniversary i i do believe there is more tom nolan coming uh yeah so uh, now is a good time to catch up on those first two and then we want to mention a re-release of something that wasn't um wasn't i mean it was available but not i don't think as widely available as this will be um the house at the bottom of the lake by um josh mallerman is being re-released this week so uh, again there's a review available on that josh has been a longtime friend of this podcast as well and uh of all the this is horror chap books and and not novellas that we reviewed and there was like five or six right that one still remains my favorite um i, I don't know if you you know this but um there are there are two blurbs on the back of the this is horror release did you know you're one of them um, I did not. <laughs> so I just pulled out my, the original release of a house at the bottom of a lake 
is uh, a This Is Horror Chapbook, like Livius just mentioned. And I pulled it out because I'm like kind of proud that I have the original release, like, you know, um, in, a, in, a, in a print form, because I think they sent us a ebook to, to review and everything. Um, and I'm looking at it and I see the back, I see two blurbs and I see one is attributed, attributed to Livius Nedden, booked podcast. So I'm going to read this to you, Livius, because you probably don't remember what you said, right? I no recollection. All right. You ready for this? I am. <sighs> Mallerman tests the waters of love and magic and what it means to face both as a teenager in this beautifully crafted horror story. I think maybe I have a future as a blurb writer. Is what I, I'm yeah. From that. Yeah. It would be cool if that made it onto the, um, the re-release, like the, yeah. The big, the big publisher re-release. Some, somehow, I doubt that because I'm sure that at this point he's getting much bigger names than mine. Oh, you made it into the front too. Praise for House at the Bottom of the Lake. There's more of them, and you are the first one. You, you got on before John F. D. Taff. That's fair. I mean, I'll. Wow. I, yeah. <laughs> so well, that's, uh, that's good to know. I now I'm kind of sad that I don't have a copy. I may have to track one down. Oh, on I'm sure you could find or it. something. Yep. Um. I will say that uh, the original cover art by Pi Par is fucking amazing, and it actually made it. Um, they they brokered it to be the cover for the re-release on the big publisher. So um, the amazing art that you see on this um, this wide release is the original cover art, and I don't think you could find something better. I remember that cover art well, and I would have to agree that that was uh, that was a smart move on on their part. Yeah, so look looking forward to that. Um, anything else we have for tonight? I don't think so. We already mentioned next week's episode. A couple congratulations, shout-outs. Oh, we do. Um, at this point, if you are a Patreon supporter, uh, if you live in the domestic United States, you should have received your little swag bag um, for being a, a patron through uh, throughout 2020. So um, we did have one that was returned. Uh, I, I will go with the first name, Julie. If you're listening, hit us up with a with a, a current address, and I'll resend that back out. But other than that, hopefully those are all in your hands, Patreon supporters, um, except for the ones that are overseas. Those apparently take like six weeks or something to get there. But uh, those are also on the way. They have all been shipped out. They've been shipped out for about I don't know ten days now. I think. Yeah, it's nice to see people have started. We know this because people have started um, posting pictures of their swag and stuff, and so. One of the ones I was excited to see uh, landed was um, one of the bigger, like one of the more active supporters of the podcast, uh, Thomas Joyce, um, showed up with uh, his pictures of him. Like, dude, all he got his stuff already. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so last year, sorry, Thomas, <laughs> I, I messaged Thomas about this before I sent out the package. Last year, three months after I sent it out, it was sent back to me as undeliverable so i assumed it would take at least like a month for his to get there so good i'm glad it made it there yeah he posted a picture of all the random stuff we sent um so that's nice i know sean ferguson posted uh a picture of him interacting with our swag i don't know why should i stop being vague most people have it by now yeah i Um, would imagine that yeah so we have uh face masks with uh the booked logo on the front so um it's nice to see more people than just me walking around with a booked face mask all the time. There you go. Well, I hope you guys enjoy those. Um, as always, it's fun to put that stuff together and, and uh, send it out to you guys. So uh, thank you. And thank you for your support in the last year. 
Yeah. Um, I think, I think we're, I think we're good. Um, I don't have, I don't have anything else to talk about that I can think of. And nor do I. All right, so, I'm too busy trying to find a copy of a house at the bottom of a lake. <laughs> All right. So join us next week. We're going to talk about the little sleep by Paul Tremblay. Very excited about that. A, because I always enjoy Paul's books, but B like, it's cool to like have a reason to go back in time a little bit and read one of his earlier works. So join us, uh, join us next week for that. Until then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading.